A daily digest of the who, what, and why of Waterloo Region. Welcome to Kitchener Today on City News 570. They pull you back in. I don't know what movie that's from. I'm familiar with that as a quote on Seinfeld. I heard George Costanza say it once in an episode. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I, I, I don't know what pop culture reference that is. Other than Seinfeld. Producer Pauly. In with you again here on Kitchener Today on City News 570. So, uh, <laughs> so I signed off when I signed off here yesterday at 2.58 p.m. I, I, you know, I thought the guest hosts were going to start today. And then two minutes after we're done. The uh, big boss man comes in here and says, uh, hey, Polly, uh, how you doing? I'm thinking, okay, something's up. Something's going on. <laughs> and, and I, I kind of knew where it, was, where it was going. And so, yes, they have asked me to host again today. There's, there's just some, you know, getting a whole bunch of people lined up, a whole bunch of guest hosts is a little challenging. There's a lot of balls in the air, as it were. So I am hosting today, and I am hosting on Thursday, or so I've been told. And tomorrow I'll be back to my normal job as producing. But that's what they say. Who knows? Who knows what's what's going on with this place? So, yes, we're in here. We're here together until 3 o'clock today. So what is on the show today? Well, of course, Tuesdays at 2.30, we have our Tuesday Tech Spotlight, as we always do every Tuesday. And uh, Adam Starker will be here. Now, he is the program manager of Communitech. Now, normally on the uh, Tuesday Tech Spotlight, we, we highlight a, a tech company, a local tech startup. But today... We're going to be joined by uh, Communitech for actually a slightly different reason. There is an event coming up that you might be interested in. It is called the Future of Cities event. It is a virtual event which is coming up this Thursday, so just a couple of days from now. And uh, we'll be talking to Adam about that, about the event, and how you can participate. A number of guest speakers lined up. Uh, Should be very interesting, including... The guest who will be joining us at 2 o'clock today. Now, how's that for a segue? Anne Kavukian will be here at 2 o'clock. She is uh, Executive Director of Global Privacy and Security by Design Center, also Ontario's former Privacy Commissioner. You may have seen and maybe even have received yourself one of these text messages claiming 
that there's a refund waiting for you because of the Ontario license plate sticker, which, of course, was uh, announced last week. We talked about it on the show. The Ontario government is going to be issuing refunds for the Ontario license plate sticker retroactive to March 2020. Well, some people have been getting text messages saying, you know, you know, click here or, you know, whatever it is for your refund. That's not how these refunds are being issued. So if you got one of these text messages, it is a scam. And we'll be going over that and maybe just kind of how to avoid some electronic scams in general with our guest Ann Kavukian at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Now, at 1.30, Jars Balan will be here. Of course, the biggest story in the news right now is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I've mentioned on the show a few times, I... Don't follow international affairs that closely, but this is a pretty big story that we all should be more aware of. And we're going to be talking to Jars about kind of how all this got started. And believe it or not, it didn't get started just a couple of weeks ago. This, uh, you know, Russia resentment towards Ukraine goes back many, many years. And so anyway, we're going to get to the bottom of that, hopefully. And give you some background and exactly why this is happening. I'm really looking forward to our conversation at 1.30 with uh, Jars Balan, the uh, director of Canadian Institute for Ukrainian Studies at the University of Alberta. Now, at 1 o'clock, Nicole Racine will be here again also in regards to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. How do you talk to your children about such important issues, such big news stories as this and uh, you know some children may be may be scared about some of the things they're seeing on tv so nicole racine she is a postdoctoral research fellow of psychology at the university of calgary so she'll be joining at one o'clock to talk to us about how, how do you talk to your children about the russian invasion of ukraine and coming up at twelve thirty, just a mere 24 no not 24 minutes 19 minutes from now, Bill Ioannidis will be here, Ward 7 Counselor, with the city of Kitchener. The uh, city has approved a 10-story condo development in Belmont Village, and this has been a contentious issue. We've been talking about it here on City News 570 for the last few months anyway, and that development was finally approved by city councillors in Kitchener last night in a meeting which I understand ended well after midnight. So technically, it was approved this morning. So Bill Ioannidis will be here in just a few minutes to talk about that. So, producer Paulie in with you today. Producer Brittany is almost feeling well enough. My understanding is she will be back We're hoping to have her back in the building tomorrow, and since I'm supposed to be here on Thursday, I hope that she will grace us with her presence, and it will again once be producer Pauly and Brittany on Kitchener Today on City News 570. Now, as we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, what is to every day is something, and today, of course, is no exception. So today is National barista day now while we regularly celebrate the work of emergency services personnel we 
don't tend to spend as much time thinking about the hard work of our baristas. Many people, however, rely on their baristas to make their morning cup of coffee, sending the, setting the tone for the rest of the day without their morning cup of joe, they're in trouble. And there were various suggestions on how to celebrate National Barista Day. This one, to me, was the most interesting. Let your barista pick your coffee. For a little adventure outside the daily coffee routine, set aside the usual and ask the barista behind the counter to make a surprise with either their favorite drink or something completely random, something they're experts in. So why not let them do what they're great at and give them a shout-out on social media if you love the drink? So National Barista Day. Today is also National Wedding Planning Day. There's nothing quite so mind-destroying as planning your special day. Many people dream of their wedding days their whole life, but it's rare that they imagine all of the details that go into making their wedding day happen. Sure, first you have to find that special someone, but then there's guest lists, invitations, the overall madness that comes with trying to plan an event where two families are going to come together. National Wedding Planning Day is your firing gun to start planning your wedding as early as possible to take the stress off. Well, I'm glad they alluded to it at the, at the very end. There, You can't possibly plan a whole wedding in one day. Absolutely not. So National Wedding Planning Day. And, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention what everybody's been talking about on the news today. Of course, today is Pancake Tuesday or Shrove Tuesday, as it's known. Uh, With a rich history dating back hundreds of years, Pancake Tuesday combines a delightful sense of celebration and fun with deep and meaningful components always observed on the day before the religious holiday, Ash Wednesday. Pancake Tuesday is associated with some of other names such as Shrove Tuesday, Mardi Gras, or Fat Tuesday. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a religious holiday. I think, is it only the Catholics who celebrate? I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, I should know this. I should know this because I went to a, a Catholic elementary school and a Catholic high school. I should know this. But anyway, yeah, so, of course, leading up to the period of Lent in the, uh, the Catholic calendar, and there are certain things you're not supposed to eat during Lent, and I, I think, I guess, flour is one of them. And so, uh, you know, Pancake Tuesday is a way to, to use up some of those ingredients that you're not supposed to be consuming for the next 40 days. Okay. Let's have some fun here. We didn't do this yesterday because Mike Farwell was in with us with Between Two Hosts. Let's try for our feature, which always seems to make the phones go crazy, the not-so-impossible question. No prize. So there's no prize. It's just bragging rights for your friends for the rest of the day. Just a little fun game that we've been playing here for the last week and a half here in the first segment of the show. We're going to ask you a question just to see if you can guess the answer. 519-570-2545. Out of town, 1-800-570-5715. And star 570. Hands free. Here is today's not-so-impossible question. 
In a new survey, 56% of people say they plan to do this during the month of March. What is it? 56% of people in a recent survey say they plan to do this during the month of March. My father used to do this all the time, but of course, that's of no, so, uh, no clue of anybody except me. So give us a call now if you think you might have a guess at what the answer is. 519-570-2545. Out of town, 1-800-570-5715. And star 570 hands-free. In a new survey, 56% of people say they plan on doing this in the month of March. What is it? We're coming back with some answers and your phone calls and a whole lot more here on Kitchener Today on City News 570. We're playing our favorite little game here on Kitchener Today with producer Pauly. The not-so-impossible question. In a new survey, 56% of people plan to do this during the month of March. What is it? 519-570-2545. Out of town, 1-800-570-5715. And star 570. Mark, do you have a guess? Actually, I've got two guesses, Paul. Mm-hmm. If that's okay. Yep. Okay, first guess is cleaning out their eaves troughs. No, no, that's okay. not it. No. Nope. Okay, second guess, bringing down their Christmas lights. No, not bringing down the Christmas lights. I haven't brought my Christmas lights down yet. And Last year, I think we had a, a fairly mild weekend early in January, and I did it, but... My my Christmas lights are still up, although I haven't had them on for the last, oh, probably uh, at least, probably month, maybe even month and a half. So I just, you know, I unplug them, but the lights themselves are still up. Not the answer, but uh, good guess because, of course, the weather is getting a lot nicer. 519-570-2545 out of town, 1-800-570-5715. I almost forgot the number there for a second. And star 570 hands-free, the not-so-impossible question right now. In a new survey, 56% of people plan on doing this within the next month. Grant, do you have a guess? Yeah, I figure because it's Lent. Uh, Let me see. Fasting, not having, like, dessert for, as a fasting thing. Not a bad guess, but no, that's not in the ballpark. I don't doubt that, that there will be many people who will be giving up sweets and uh, other fantastic delights during the month, uh, or course, during the period of Lent, of course, going more than just a month. It's 40 days. Kyle, do you know the answer? Spring cleaning. No, it's not spring cleaning. But uh, good guess. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a hint here. Now, of course, this is something, of course, we can do all year round, but there's something that happens around this time of year where people are more likely to engage in this activity. I don't know, maybe not really, maybe not an activity per se, but uh, yes, in a new survey, 56% of people say they plan on doing this during the month of March. What is it? Bob, do you have a guess? 
a beach vacation. A beach vacation. No, it's not a beach vacation. Thanks, uh, thanks, Bob. 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570. Doug, do you know the answer? <laughs> Says I hopefully take off my winter tires and put on my summer tires. No, it's not take off the winter tires, but the, that is something, of course, that happens a lot during this time of year. So if you have 56% of people say they plan on doing this in the month of March, what is it? Steve, go ahead. Hey, Paulie, how you doing? Good. Do you have any guesses? Good. Yeah, do your taxes? Do your tax? No, that that would be a good one. That would be a that would be a really good one. My 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 father used to always do his taxes on on Easter Monday. <laughs> Every year that was like his his not tradition, but we always knew on on Easter Monday to leave my father alone because he was going to be busy all day doing his taxes. But no, it's not doing your taxes. But no doubt lots of people will be doing that in the month of March. We have a couple of minutes left, and of course we will give you the real answer if we run out of time. Lisa, do you know what 56% of people think they're or plan on doing in the month of March? See, now mine's kind of tax-related. I was going to say make a charitable donation. No, it's not make a charitable donation. So, yeah, there, there, there is something happening. Usually it happens in the month of March. Maybe... I don't ever remember it happening in April, but I think sometimes it might happen in February. But certainly in March, something that happens every year, which causes people to want to engage in this activity. Marlene, go ahead. Uh, Drink a green beer. No, you know, I was going to suggest, because of course, St. Patrick's Day, of course, is in March. And there are many people who plan on drinking green beer, but no. Uh, let's see, maybe one more, and then I'll give you the answer. Paul, do you know the answer? 56% of people plan on doing this in the month of March. I'm going to guess purchase maple syrup. No, not purchase maple syrup. Uh, that you, I guess that would happen more so in the... I can never remember, like, you know, like the Elmira Maple Syrup Festival, I can never remember whether that's in the spring or the fall, but of course it's in the spring as the, uh, as the sap cause, comes oozing out of the trees after being frozen in the trees all winter. All right, let one more, one more, and see if we can get the answer. Donna, do you know it? Polly, you're doing a great job, by the way. I'm going to guess starting to plant seeds to get ready for gardens and stuff. No, it's not planting seeds. It's not an outdoor activity. So here we go. 56% of people in the month of March plan on watching as many of the Oscar-nominated films as possible before the ceremony. My father used to do this all the time. When the, when the list of all the nominated films came out, he would make it a point. I, I don't think he'd try to cram them all in the month of March, but throughout the year, he would try to make sure he watched all of the Oscar-nominated films. Of course, the Oscars are coming up on Sunday, March 22nd. So yes, 56% of people plan on watching as many of the Oscar-nominated films as possible in the month of March. We're going to take a break for news, but coming up 
After that, Bill Ioannidis will be here, Ward 7 Counselor for the City of Kitchener. They approved that 10-story condo unit for Belmont Village late last night. This is Kitchener Today with producer Polly on City News 570. Welcome back to City News 570. I was going to call this City News Today. Actually, I don't mind that. (laughs) But no, but it is is Kitchener Today here on City News 570. Producer Polly in with you till 3 o'clock this afternoon. Well, Kitchener has approved, the city of Kitchener and its council have approved a 10-story condo tower for Belmont Village after another marathon meeting on one of the most contentious planning applications. Before the City of Kitchener, councillors voted in favor of the controversial high-rise development at a meeting early Tuesday. This, the, the, this, this council meeting went so late, it actually moved into Tuesday morning. And in a latch, last-ditch effort, local developer Zare Group agreed to lower the tower by another Floor and the final height of the tower will now be 10 stories. To discuss this further, Bill Ioannidis joins us on the show. He's the Ward 7 counselor for the city of Kitchener. Bill, welcome to the show. Hi, Polly. Thanks for, for, for having me. Now, this property that we're talking about, it, it, it's, it's on Belmont near Glasgow. Is that correct? Yes, it's pretty well in the corner, pretty, pretty close to right beside the Tim Hortons. Now, take me through the history of this property. Uh, like, like what what was there before, and then the decision to uh, have a condo development approved there. Well, so what was there before for quite some time was uh, a garage that serviced tires, and I probably did some other auto mechanic stuff, and I, I think it was there for quite some time, and so. Um, somewhere in the last two or three years, the Zare Group purchased the property, and uh, they they were they have other properties that are right beside it. So, and so, you know, Belmont Village being an attractive uh, place for for you know to do some community building and you know to improve um, the, the community, they thought you know maybe we could we could develop the property and and into something that's magnificent for Belmont Village and bring more traffic to to more foot traffic as well to to the village and and you know provide another another avenue for residents to to move into the, to the area whether they want to uh, down downsize and go to that part or like they want to bring new 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 areas new new individuals into the area so so and then they approached the city with, with regards to purchasing the lane so that's kind of how it all started. Now, what does this development look like? Is this all residential, or is it a mix of residential and commercial? It's it's it, it, the main the main floor is got commercial, and then on the top, it's 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 residential condos. Now, I was talking to Mike Farwell this morning. I didn't see the meeting last night, but he watched quite a bit of it. Uh, my understanding is you you voted in favor of this under the kind of. Not under the condition, but you'd like to see a ten-story 
uh, I, I guess, residential unit be the maximum allowed in the city. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So part of the amendment was, and, you know, Councillor Johnson had uh, heard a lot of feedback from the areas, uh, area residents. And so, you know, and what we heard from area residents was, was big concerns that I heard in, in speaking with them and, meet, and meeting with them virtually was the pedestrian scape and having that feel. And uh, and I feel like they have accomplished that. In fact, I think it has a really great European flair. And I think it will really complement from what we saw during the pandemic with all the patios and everything else that happened uh, on Belmont. And then on top, uh, the height. So the height was something that originally was at, I think it was 15 and then it went down to to 13 and now now it's down to 10 or, or no 11 sorry now it's down to no 13 to 11 to to, to 10 sorry but don't problem. <laughs> and and uh so you know there was a lot of concessions made by by the zare group in regards to uh you know to their development proposal like they they're they're going to build to a lead certification i'm not sure whether that's gold or silver or whatever that certification is they have committed to have 10 percent of their units be three bedroom units uh they're committed to you know legally that they're going to maintain the, the the lane way so that it's still in the public's domain that the public can use and it doesn't you don't have to be within the within uh, the the condo development to to be able to to have access to it um the other the other good news about that is the laneway that they're purchasing is is something that you know only benefited them as 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 far as property owners because mm-hmm. they basically own the two properties beside it and uh so the city now has an extra extra funds to to finance whatever it is that you know that could be used uh, for another project and uh, and at the same time we don't have to operate the uh, operate the, the laneway and keep it you know maintained and and you know those are operational costs but also we also don't get the the risk anymore uh, so we, we mitigate our, our risk and so that that to me is a huge win for for the city in general and also for the area residents because from what I've seen and what I've been and what others have seen it's no one's really been no one really used it so um, so I think it's those are the those are quite a few of the positives um, the other one too is they did. They have. They're donating. I think it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars to mental homes for affordable housing. Uh, they have, they're committed to further investing into affordable housing. Um, there's quite a quite a few other things that they committed to, and I'm probably forgetting because it's such a long night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, no doubt. Uh, of course, being a a city councilor comes with many different challenges, and in the course of uh, of this this housing development, I, I, was it difficult to, in in weighing the decisions of council, the you know the the housing needs of the city versus what many uh, those in the Belmont Village wanted uh, in terms oh. of in terms of their neighborhood. It's, it's a it's a tough balance to strike, I guess. Oh, Polly, it's it's the, it's probably the most frustrating process that we go through as members of council and, and city staff. Um, you know, like, and, and I'm sure you're aware, like any development proposal, whether it's, you know, duplexing gets absolutely opposed by neighboring residents. And then you get to the, the scale of the high rise where 
every application is 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 basically opposed by area residents and and the lens we are looking at you know we have a housing crisis and how do you, and and you know we as city councillors got to think of you know we still have to maintain the city to create jobs we still have to make sure the city's prosperous we still have to make sure that it's an attractive place to keep you know, have talented individuals wanting to, to locate here and, you know, to keep the community thriving. And so when you have those two types of uh, opposing views, even when it's the most gentlest form, and so a lot of our policies are now, you know, pushed towards that high-rise development. And, and unfortunately, you, we can't build out out of uh, our countryside line because we want to protect our countryside line. Mm-hmm. And so the only other solution is to build up. But then when you have opposition to the, even the most gentlest form and we limit everything to certain areas like tra- the major transit areas and then you throw in heritage districts and everything else, where is this growth going to grow? So the only growth that's going to happen is 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 going to be in those transit areas with high-rise development. So it's it's rather it's rather really challenging to deal with that and 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 we're already so far behind in housing i like any any units that we take offline to me is we're we're losing the battle in that and and that is definitely the one thing that i've heard from area residents over and over again is the number one concern is housing and affordable housing and uh, that leads into my next question how important are these i believe it's 100 units that are going to be in this building. How important is that to the region's housing supply? Well, again, like we're not these these units are roughly going to be some of them are two three bedroom. They're going to start around four hundred thousand. And and I know as I think hearing from you know guests on on the, your shows like like starting homes the average home is going for a million dollars now if not plus and having massive bidding wars and so it's just a complete housing shortage. So like. For example, like I know other other developers in the community, I've heard like they put up a hundred hundred homes up for sale, and they're getting literally thousands of applicants. And to me, I don't think that's not healthy, even in their perspective or even our perspective. Like someone's going to lose out on those homes. So, if any housing that we take away, it's either new residents that could be that that lose out that want to you know enjoy the same same uh, community flair and community benefits of whatever the Belmont Village or any other area or anyone else that's, you know, that maybe wants to downsize, it's still affordable, even though it's not for, you know, at the lowest of the spectrum of affordable housing, but it's still housing. And do we know when this development might start? Like, is the Zara Group free to start building now that this has been approved? Uh, I think there's still quite a few other things like like the, the finalized like some site plan details and stuff like their application process has still got to go through and mm-hmm. and uh, depending on where this may go as far as uh, the communities involved if, uh, if they're not happy with the with the development they may you know decide to take some initiatives on their own and you know file a complaint to the OLT. Mm-hmm. And do we know when this uh, these units might open? My guess is it'll probably take two to three years to 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 build out the the property. So that would be twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five. Okay, thanks, Bill, for your time today. Thanks, Polly. Bill Ionitis is the Ward Seven Councillor for the City of Kitchener, and this this ten story condo unit 
on uh, in Belmont Village near Belmont and Glasgow was approved last night. Actually, it's it's. it's I was talking to Mike about this this morning, off the air, and I'm like, City of Kitchener Council, Belmont Village isn't in Waterloo. It's 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 right. It's right near the border. I I always for some reason felt that. Uh, Belmont Village was in Waterloo, but it's technically in Kitchener. So I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are, uh, not only, I guess, on this specific housing development in Belmont Village, but, uh, uh, you know, maybe what the answer to, you know, housing problems are in general. 519-570-2545-1-800-570-5715 and star 570 hands-free. This 10-story condo unit approved last night by Kitchener Council in Belmont Village. Now, now a lot of people are, you know, upset about this, particularly people who live in Belmont Village. And I love Belmont Village. I don't live there, but, I, I, you know, I love that small little town feel right in the middle of the city. And uh, you know, there's a great atmosphere there, particularly in the summer. The last couple of summers, they they've really extended out the patios. Very, very cool. And uh, I've seen the renderings of this of this condo unit. I don't think it looks terrible, but again, I don't live in Belmont Village, and, and I'd be curious to know if you do live in the area. What are your thoughts on this? Five one nine five seventy twenty five forty five one eight hundred five seventy fifty seven fifteen and star 570 hands free. Bill, what do you think? Uh hi Polly. I was just wondering, I heard nothing about whether the laneway behind w- was sold to them in this uh, deal. Do you know anything about that? I don't know about that. No, I haven't heard about that unfortunately, Bill. Okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> I, I just heard it's approved, but mm-hmm. nothing has been said about cuz they wanted to purchase the laneway for Various reasons, and mm-hmm. I just wondered what happened there. Yeah, I, I, our, our our guest Bill Ioannidis mentioned. I guess the uh, Zare Group owns some of the adjacent property, so uh, maybe that would include the lane, Roy. And unfortunately, I do not know the specific answer to that question. So, this ten story uh, ten story condo unit approved in Belmont Village. What do you think? Is it is it going to ruin? The feel of the village, or do you think it might fit right in? 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570. Let's take one more call before we go to the uh, break. Grant, go ahead. Yeah, my problem with this is he should be building affordable housing first, Mm -hmm. because... What I have a feeling with this project, it's going to go by the wayside. They're not going to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. We we don't need any more high-rise bills. Again, city council do whatever they feel like it. They don't they don't listen to us. We'll spend money. We'll be a bunch of fools, and we'll we'll do whatever we want. And there's there's no. There's nothing that says if he doesn't follow through with the affordable housing that 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 he's going to be responsible for that. Mm-hmm. No, and like I said, city council are a bunch of goofs. <laughs> they 
They don't think at all. We'll spend money. And too bad for the homeless people. We got tons of homeless people on the streets. And again, we they've already built a high-rise one down on around Frederick Street. Mm-hmm. They built one on Bridgeport Street. So enough is enough. Mm-hmm. But I guess city council, they rather be stupid. All right, thanks for the call, Grant. So, yeah, so Grant's view on that is it, these, you know, if the city is going to spend money or at least at the very least, you know, approving certain housing projects, that the first priority should be affordable housing. And, and you know, and these units are, I mean, there were certain conditions put upon them. Bill was saying that a certain number of them had to be three bedroom Units, as opposed to maybe putting a, a few more two-bedroom units in there. So there were some restrictions, but that's an interesting point that Grant brings up. That maybe you know, maybe affordable housing should be the uh, you know first and foremost. But uh, to each their own. Mark, let's. Uh, what do you think? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, sorry, Polly. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, a good idea, Paul. I think it's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Uh, the business in Belmont. The small businesses, they're going to be flourishing. Mm-hmm. It's good. You know, all those uh, extra families, uh, the Tim Hortons and all the cool little businesses on Belmont there. Yeah. Um, they're just going to be absolutely uh, busy, busy, busy. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It'll bring a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, business to the area. And particularly if you people are living in the area. I mean, it's one thing to you know, drive to, you know, Belmont Village from other parts of the city, like I occasionally do. But it's another thing if, you know, if you're really kind of part of that village and you're down there every day. Still got a couple of more moments for some calls. If you're interested, 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570 hands-free. What do you think of this 10-story condo tower unit? That was approved by Kitchener City Council last night. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Councillor Johnson had uh, heard a lot of feedback from the areas, uh, area residents. And so, you know, and what we heard from area residents was, was big concerns that I heard in, in speaking with them and, meet, and meeting with them virtually was the pedestrianscape and having that feel. And uh, and I feel like they have accomplished that. In fact, I think it has a really great European flair. And I think it will really complement from what we saw during the pandemic with all the patios and everything else that happened uh, on Belmont. Ward 7 Councillor in the City of Kitchener, Bill Ioannidis, joining us a few moments ago to discuss this 10-story condo unit, which was approved last night in Belmont Village by Kitchener City Council. Keith, what are your thoughts? Well, I'll tell you, I grew up in that neighborhood on Essen Street in the late 70s mm-hmm. when it was, when did it become a village and not a plaza? Like, I mean, is that the, just jack up the rents we call it a village? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it just, it, 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 it's technically not a village, but it's, it, I guess yeah. it's that area of town that's, it's, it's been named over the years. I don't know when the official name change took place. Yeah, and as far as the the, the high rise, I mean the the, the the height of the the building going. I mean, what about Park Place? I used to live deliver the record in there. What is that? Sixteen, eighteen stories. It's right behind where this is going to go. Yeah, I think it's not it's, like there's nothing else there. Yeah, I think you know? it's just technically just down the street. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, there there, there yeah. are high rise uh, residential units in the area, not too far from Belmont Village. I mean, there used to be a beer store there. There used to be a gas station. Mm-hmm. Big John Subs used to be a lot better. 
yeah. <laughs> you know, but all these places were there. But I don't understand why they call it a village and they got little hobby stores in there and stuff. And somehow the health food store got booted out. Maybe the rent went up. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just seems ridiculous to me. The village here, blah, blah, blah. I used to be a Zara's where the Farmer Plus was. Yeah. But how did it all of a sudden become a village? Like it's, it's, it's called everything a village. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've always known it as Belmont Village, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's you've been in the uh, the area longer than I have, but uh, I've always known it as as Belmont Village. But uh, okay, uh, Joel, go ahead. Hi, uh, how's it going, Polly? Uh, yeah, I just want to call. I was just driving up actually up Belmont Road mm-hmm. uh, towards the village, and you know, you can see the towers from Waterloo and stuff behind. Anyway. Um, you know, I was also thinking when I moved to the city about 25 years ago from Hamilton, I actually lived on Bell just up the road from the village. Mm-hmm. And I remember first, you know, you know, walking down the village in the evening thinking, you know, that maybe this is going to be fun, you know, maybe there's some restaurants and bars. At the time, there wasn't very much open. Everything closed at five. I mean, I know the village has come away, come along, along with some nice restaurants there now and uh, a lot more shops than there used to be. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think a 10-story building, you know, it's not going to really change, you know, the look or the feel. If anything, it's going to, you know, bring more people there and in the shops. Uh, I, I don't know. I just don't see how it would be a bad thing besides mm-hmm. people worried about the look of it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Joel, for the call. Uh, yeah, good point. Um, I got an email from Christian, which I don't give up my email as often as I I should, but if you do want to email me at any time, Paul H at 570news.com, Christian says, I find city councils and MZO work for the developer most of the time. Zoning and planning have a worn out rubber stamp, never mind what the residents want. By the time the development is announced, it's nearly a done deal. Just ask the people of Blair. So this is how the bait and switch works. The developer wants to build a 10-story building. They apply to build a 13-story building. Then they drop it back down to 10, and Bob's your uncle makes it look like the developer made a concession, and the counselors worked hard knowing that this was all the end game. This happens all the time. It's kind of like you know city city budgets. Sometimes we hear, all right, we're proposing a, a 5% Tax increase. And their residents, 5% tax increase? That's outrageous. And, you know, they, you know, they debate it and they come back and go, okay, we, we listen to the residents. We, we heard you. We, these, these, these negotiations were tough. We knocked it down to 2.5%. They were probably planning on 2.5% the whole time. <laughs> I don't doubt that happens from time to time as well. We've got the news coming up, and then coming up uh, right after that, uh, how to talk to your children about the invasion of Ukraine. It's a very difficult conversation that some of us are having with our children. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. Producer Polly in with you today. There's no doubt that talking to your children about current events can be an important part of their development. But when such a big and controversial story comes around, like Russia's invasion of Ukraine, these conversations can be difficult. How do we explain such a complicated and challenging story to 
our children. Uh, Nicole Racine, who is a postdoctoral research fellow of psychology at the University of Calgary, joins us this afternoon to discuss this aspect further. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, this, uh, I suppose this is not a, is this a matter of, you know, how we talk to our kids or, you know, you know, if we should even talk to our kids about it? Like, like, should we wait for them to bring it up? Yeah, so I think it, in some ways it depends a little bit of, on their age, and this is a really good question. Uh, but I think what we're recommending is actually that for kids who are older, so older than five or six years of age, uh, that maybe cutting things off, cutting them off at the pass and openly having a discussion with them is important because I think at this point between the news and discussions that are happening at school, they've likely had exposure uh, to the fact that uh, Ukraine has been invaded by Russia and that there is a war going on. And so being able to have a discussion with them to help make sense of what they've heard and how they're feeling about it is important. Now, in your piece at uh, the conversation, you list there, there are three reasons why we should talk to the, our kids about the Ukraine, uh, Ukraine invasion. What are those three reasons? Yeah, so we the first is really to help kids to understand uh, the difficult emotions that they're having and to understand, uh, you know, what's happening. And we know from a lot of research that's been done over time that when you talk about something with someone, it actually helps your stress and distress decrease. And families that have more open and honest discussions uh, actually have kids who perceive less threat uh, related to situations that happen. So we call this uh, the idea of name it to tame it, right? If you want to kind of make something a little less stressful, you got to talk about it with somebody. Uh, So that's one reason. Uh, Another is that uh, what's a little bit unique nowadays with kids' exposure to social media, things like TikTok, Snapchat, is there's a lot of misinformation out there and misinformation that's actually targeted. It's there purposefully. And so being able to have conversations with your kids about what they're seeing and what how they're making sense of this is important because it allows you to correct any misinformation that they have. And then lastly, you know, we're creating blueprints when we have these discussions for, um, you know, how we think and care about other people, but also how we have these discussions in future. Uh, because I think something that's becoming more and more obvious is that some of these challenging world situations um, – you know, we're seeing more of them. And so we want to be able to have these kinds of discussions with our kids and for them to know they can have those discussions with us. So obviously, age is going to depend on how we talk to our children about this. You know, so you know, children under the age of five, for instance, how would you describe uh, what's happening in uh, Ukraine? Yeah, so we, for kids under the age of five, I think if they uh, bring it up to you or ask you a pointed question... Uh, you can answer answer that pointed question, but some of the language, uh, you know, that you might consider using could be, you know, there's one country that's not being very nice to another country. Um, maybe kids have heard about bullying before, so they, you know, you can kind of liken it to that. Uh, but using that kind of language and saying, you know, there's a lot of people there who are really scared and worried about what might happen to them. And answer their question specifically. You don't need to go more in depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, for kids who are a little older, who may have a lot more questions, I think you can have a more in-depth discussion about that. Uh, an important point is you want to reassure them, especially kids who are here in Canada, 
uh, you know, that adults are doing everything they can to make sure that kids are safe, are trying really hard to make good decisions. Uh, we live relatively far away. The likelihood of, of a lot of the terrible outcomes people are talking about are quite low. Now, I don't, you know, certainly there are um, Canadians and people living in Canada who have family members in the Ukraine who are obviously very distressed and worried right now, and, and that is a whole other situation. But I think on the most part, for the most part, we're able to kind of reassure our kids about some of the outcomes. Now, what about a slightly older child? Let's say age uh, 6 to 12. Uh, Could you go into a little bit more detail, do you think, with them? You know, I I think so. They may have a better understanding of conflicts that have happened. They may have experienced a few remembrance days at school. Uh, you know, where the world wars have been talked about, uh, they've, you know, and they've had exposure to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, being still, um, you know, maintaining language that, um, you know, is non-frightening, but I think you can talk a little bit more in detail about about what is happening. And I think across all ages, you want to be careful about uh, media exposure, you know, having the TV on uh, for long lengths of time where there's a lot of really graphic material that's being shown. Or sometimes as adults, uh, we tend to have conversations and not really think the kids are listening, but the kids are always listening. And so just being mindful of that. Now, these conversations might not be easy to bring up even on, uh, uh, you know, on the parents' part. Are there any things that parents could do to help uh, them ease into this conversation with their children? How can they prepare? Yeah, so uh, the first thing we say is that if you're feeling distressed, upset, stressed, in a time crunch, that's not a good time to have the conversation. So in being able to prepare yourself a little bit about being in a you know calm place and having the time to actually have the conversation is important. Uh, one way to open up the conversation is just is by asking, you know, like, has anyone at school been talking about what's going on in Ukraine? You know, does, have you heard anything about this or what are people saying? And get them talking and telling you what they know. And that can be, you know, a starting point or jumping point. You can answer some of their questions and or you can say, like, do you have any questions or anything you know, you're wondering about or confused about? And just say, you know, I'm here. We can this isn't the end of this. We can have a conversation another time, too. I just want you to know that I'm, I'm willing and open to talk to you about it. And in your piece, and you referenced uh, earlier in the interview as well, that it's important that we reassure children that adults are doing everything they can to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. Any elaboration on that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's the, the reassurance piece, right, where... Uh, you know, I think, you know, world leaders, uh, not only world leaders, but also, uh, you know, people, you as parents yourselves are always doing your best uh, to keep them safe. And I think that that everyone's safety is absolutely at the top of mind uh, for everyone. And so I, I think reassuring them of that, that, uh, you know, adults will always be trying their best to do that. Nicole, thank you very much for your time today. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me. Nicole Racine is a postdoctoral research fellow of psychology at the University of Calgary, uh, discussing with us how to talk to your children about the invasion of Ukraine and other difficult topics that it may 
uh, you know, th- that may have to be broached from time to time. If you do have a comment on this, now is the time to call 519-570-2545, out of town 1-800-570-5715 and star 570. Stefan, go ahead. Hey, Paulie. Uh, I completely disagree with your guest. No 5-year-old, 8-year-old, 10-year-old, you should be discussing any sort of information that's happening right now. Because mm-hmm. what you're doing is you're, you're feeding a feeble mind, uh, giving it a subliminal message that there's a bad guy, there's a good guy. When in reality, we don't know who's the bad guy. The media tells you Russia is the bad guy, and you're teaching the feeble mind what you think. And that, that mind gets created into something else, and that's how racism gets formed. What parents should do at that age, close the TV, close everything, Read the book and take your child outside and have fun. Not talk about war. But, but what if they ask about it, though? They might find out uh, about it at school or something. Gonna, what five-year-old is going to ask you what's happening? All you have to say is people are being adults and they're going to resolve issues. Let the child mm-hmm. grow up normal, without fear, without hate. And then when they're 18, 20, they can alone realize what's right. Because you need to install good values into children. Not tell them, oh, there's a bad guy killing somebody. No five-year-old or 10-year-old needs to know that kind of stuff. Thanks for the call, Stefan. Uh, 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570. If you, uh, maybe you have talked to your uh, child about this issue, or they have asked questions. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, she put on her Facebook the other day that, that her son came home from school one day and was was all worried that that we were about to break out into World War three and what you know what that might mean and so I mean it's I, I hear Stefan's point but I mean yeah, maybe you're five years old but maybe you hear older kids talking about it at the playground it might come up at some point Billy go ahead yes uh you know what? I've had some personal experience. I don't have a child, but I have a mm-hmm. grandson, and we—he's uh, only seven, but he's very precocious. He likes space, so yeah. of course we've been talking about both the Soviets and the Americans, uh, and uh, how they were involved with the space race. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and and uh, you know, actually, I even—he uh, was—he he knows about my thing in the military, and uh, I, I like the, the movie Alexander Nevsky, and I, I showed him parts of that. There's some parts you wouldn't want to show him because he's too young. But, you know, uh, I give him, you know, he understands about the Russians. And even even in this, uh, we saw something called Space Race, which actually uh, it compared um, Koryalev, who was the big uh, engineer for the Soviets, against von Braun, who we used. And, of course, von Braun used slave labor. Mm-hmm. Koryalev himself was a, had been thrown into the gulag under false allegations and was actually had to be brought out in order to to be the big space pioneer for the Soviets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of complex issues about about Russia in that area. I quite understand it. And as, I'm, and as I, 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 when I, if I say anything to my seven-year-old grandson about this, I try to always put it in that nuanced, con, uh, nu- that nuanced uh, framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen now, I, I, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be blocked from Russia by YouTube, but I noticed there's a, a young lady that I've sort of halfway followed on YouTube from Russia. And uh, she posted something. She said she's shocked by what's happening and mm-hmm. how the young people are. You know, it's it's really it's really sad. We have to differentiate between the Russian government 
especially the Russian president and the Russian people. Absolutely. And we've seen quite a few protests, actually. Uh, some of the news footage that we've seen over the last few uh, few days are quite many protests in Russia. And, you know, I don't know a lot about life in Russia. I've never been there. But protesting against the government is something that can get you in big trouble, can get you arrested. And many people are uh, and have been arrested uh, through the protests against the invasion that Vladimir Putin has weighed, uh, waged against Ukraine. And, but, but, but for a lot of people, that's worth it. And I, I mentioned last week, you know, it's certainly not everybody in Russia would agree with this invasion. I, I couldn't even begin to think, you know, maybe, you know, what the percentage would be. But we often, you know, we get calls to the station from, you know, time to time, you know, uh, you know, for instance, China, China does this and China does that. And blah, 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 blah. We, you know, you have to distinguish between the, you know, the governments of these countries and the people who live in the countries. And, and certainly, you're, I don't think you're doing anybody any favor by kind of lopping everything into one group. But certainly not everybody in Russia, as we've seen with the news footage on television the last, uh, the last few days, not everybody in Russia agrees with this. So uh, th- this is certainly more of a... a a Putin invasion than a Russian invasion. If you have any more comments on this, we'll be glad to take them after the break. 519-570-2545. Out of town, 1-800-570-5715 and star 570, hands-free. Kitchener today with producer Polly on City News 570. I think across all ages, you want to be careful about uh, media exposure, you know, having the TV on uh, for long lengths of time where there's a lot of really graphic material that's being shown. Or sometimes as adults, we tend to have conversations and not really think the kids are listening, but the kids are always listening. And so just being mindful of that. Nicole Racine joining us a few moments ago. She is a postdoctoral research fellow of psychology at the University of Calgary. Join us to discuss how how we can discuss these issues like you know like the Russian invasion of Ukraine and other difficult issues with our children. Uh, they're, 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 and, and maybe as a previous caller mentioned, you don't mention it at all. Maybe that's the right way. But I don't know if they ask. I think you got to have an answer for it, don't you? 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570, hands free. Jason, go ahead. Uh, Paul, yeah, I'm going to say, uh, to, to, for the people that think, oh, well, the kids shouldn't even know about it. Well, my son knew about it before I did, and I, I get up at like 5 o'clock in the morning and <laughs> go into work, yeah. and he already sent me a message at like 4 o'clock. How old is he? In the morning or something, he already knew about it on the from online or whatever. How old is he? Uh, he's fifteen. My daughter learned yeah. about it very quickly too. They, it's all over. They, if they have any access to the internet or mm-hmm. to school or to other kids, they're going to know what's going on. So you got to give them for some perspective. We went through the whole Cold War thing as children too, mm-hmm. and we're kind of going back into that. There's proxy wars and stuff going on back in those days yeah. too. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Jason, for the call. It's uh, different parenting strategies, right? But it's 
I just worry that if you try to, you know, shield, you know, such such big issues from your kids growing up, they might grow up, you know, thinking that there is no evil in the world, but there is, unfortunately. Uh, now, at what age you start discussing those things might be a, a different story. Does a does a four year old need to know? Probably not, but it's again, you know, different parenting strategies, and and it even might come down to the the child themselves. Uh, you know how their their personal development is occurring. Now we are going to continue this discussion about the Ukrainian invasion coming up after one thirty, and I'm really looking forward to the discussion with our guest Jars Balan. He is the uh, director of the Canadian Institute for Ukrainian Studies at the University of Alberta. And, like, basically, the question we're going to try to answer is, why did Russia invade Ukraine? Because, you know, this just didn't start a couple of weeks ago, you know, when we heard about the, you know, the Russian forces, you know, slowly closing in on the Ukrainian border. It's been going on quite a lot longer than that, so I'm really looking forward to our guest at 1.30, Jars Balan from the University of Alberta. We do have a time for a couple of more calls. Grant, go ahead. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. I've had a, uh, a standard for my family, and I'm uh, in my 70s, uh, had three boys growing up, but I always told my wife that if a child is smart enough to ask the question, always answer it. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go into detail. Just give them a simple, a very simple answer. And as time goes on, they will have more questions about it. Mm-hmm. But don't go, don't, don't go into a lot of detail. Only go into detail as they, as they ask the question. Mm-hmm. And... That's uh, that worked out well for us. Great. Okay. Cool. Thanks a lot for the call, Grant. Uh, lots coming up here on Kitchener today as the afternoon progresses. Of course, two thirty we have our Tuesday Tech Spotlight, and Adam Straker, Program Manager of Communitech, will be joining us to talk about an event coming up this Thursday, which you might be interested in attending. It's a virtual event called the Future of Cities event. And uh, so that sounds interesting. And coming up at two o'clock, police services have issued a warning over Ontario license plate sticker, their refund scam. Maybe you got this text message, but that's not how these license plate refunds are being issued. So if you get a text message, it is a scam. And we'll talk more about that with our guest Ann Kavukian coming up at 2 o'clock. Time now for the news. We'll be back after this on City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. Producer Polly here with you today till 3 o'clock this afternoon. I'm sure I'm not the alone alone when I say that I don't follow foreign affairs nearly as much as I should. But the Russian invasion of Ukraine seems to be a pretty big story 
that we should all be aware of. Why is this happening? Why now? And what is the end goal of the Russian government? These are just a few of the questions that have been floating around in my head as of late. And Jars Balan, as a director of Canadian Institute for Ukrainian Studies at the University of Alberta. He joins us this afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jars. Good afternoon. Now, this conflict, um, actually, I was surprised to learn while reading your piece in the conversation, this conflict just didn't start a few weeks ago. This goes actually back to the breakup of the Soviet Union in 1991. It goes back even further. It goes back centuries. Uh, Ukraine has tried to break away from Russian influence a number of times, and uh, this is just the latest chapter uh, in a rather horrific history of it. Now, Russia doesn't like Ukraine because they have a, a, a different political system. Of course, we go back, you know, to the, you know, capitalism versus communism and, you know, the Cold War. And, you know, Ukraine's system adjacent to Russia seems to be fairly successful. Um, it, 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 with that different political system next door, is this what Russian is, uh, Russia is most threatened by? That's a direct threat to uh, President Putin, who's uh, never had to run in a free and fair election in this in Russia. Uh, he was appointed to, as a successor to Boris Yeltsin, and then all the elections uh, following that were basically rigged, rigged. You knew the outcome before the vote was even uh, cast. So uh, uh, having a, a country next door where there are democratic elections... There are challenges. Uh, it's not a fully-fledged democracy, but, boy, it's light years ahead of Russia. And um, that uh, if it's successful, and if Ukraine becomes a prosperous European and democratic nation, he's terrified that it might uh, set an example to Russians who would say, we're a very similar people. Why can't we have a similar system? Why do we have to live under uh, an autocracy, actually a dictatorship now? So why is this happening now? Why not say, I don't know, 10 years ago? There are a number of reasons why. First of all, um, uh, Putin's reading of the West is that uh, the West is in decline and that uh, the West, Western democracies are vulnerable, uh, in part thanks to uh, Russian subversion techniques. They've, been in, they've infiltrated uh, Western societies and uh, used their corruptly gained money to corrupt uh, Western institutions to buy off people, to launder their stolen money uh, in Western uh, banks, and and to live the life of Riley in Western societies. Uh, and um, so he, uh, they've been funding. I mean, uh, Moscow has funded extreme left groups and extreme right groups. Anything to sow disunity. They were thrilled when the Brits uh, left uh, the European Union uh, and worked to support Brexit. Uh, they uh, intervened in the American elections, we saw, uh, in support of Donald Trump, uh, Putin's good friend. And so they've been doing everything they can to prepare the ground in the West. At the same time, Putin in particular has been building up a war chest. He's poured money into modernizing the army. So instead of uh, improving social programs and improving the quality of life and the standard of living of uh, millions and millions of Russians... He's made it a priority instead to develop new weapons, to upgrade what they've got, to expand the armed forces, and uh, to put away money for a rainy day, a slush fund that uh, he knew he would need to have. That when this economic, when the West responded with economic sanctions, that uh, they would uh, have an ability to survive them. 
Uh, it's not going to be that easy now because, of course, sanctions have now been imposed on the central bank of Russia, and so they will not have access to much of the money that they have saved up. Uh, certainly not easy access. So uh, it's a question of timing. And finally, the third important thing, I think, is that Putin is 69 years old, and he's thinking of his legacy. He's been uh, president now for 23 years, mm -hmm. and he could be president for life the way he set things up. He could extend, can continually extend his term of office, which is what dictators do. Uh, and he wants to go down in history as the great a gatherer of Russian lands as they see them, the, to restore the empire, to restore Russia to its imperial greatness. And um, as I said, he's getting older. He needs If he's going to do it, he's got to do it sooner rather than later. And this is the time that he's chosen. Now, if Russia does manage to uh, conquer Ukraine, are you worried that this could extend to neighboring countries like Poland and Romania? Certainly, uh First of all, I think the most vulnerable countries would be the Baltics, the three Baltic uh, mm -hmm. countries, because um, they're right up on the uh, border of uh, Russia. Uh, they're small, and uh, they're perceived as being uh, uh, vulnerable. I mean, one of the things that Putin has demanded in his unrealistic set of demands that he gave to start this whole escalation was that uh, NATO withdraw from uh, all the countries that had joined after 1997, which basically included Poland and uh, Hungary and uh, Czech, the Czech and Slovak Republic and Romania. Uh, so um, I would say the first goal would be that, and Moldova would be another s softer target because he's already got a little forepost, uh, a fortress in tra the Transnistrian Republic, which is dominated by, which is controlled by Russian troops. Uh, they're there with their tanks already, so it's an easy... Uh, it poses a threat to Moldova in particular and Romania. Now, Russia, if I'm not mistaken, tried to invade Ukraine in 2004, but it, 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 it didn't work out. Why did that fail, and could the same result happen this time? Well, actually, it was, it was 2014 when they... Oh, uh, sorry, 2014, yeah. ...occupied and annexed Crimea. Uh, you could also say that he, he thought about it, I'm sure, in 2004 when the Orange Revolution broke out. Mm -hmm and hundreds of thousands of people showed up on the Independence Square to protest the stolen election. Uh, and Putin uh, was urging, and there was a, a definite fear, that Ukrainian troops would be called in to suppress the uh, protests with tanks. Uh, the Ukrainian military, to its everlasting credit, the Ukrainian officers absolutely refused to be used to put down the political protest. So that never happened. The same thing happened again in 2013-14 when the Euromaidan was on, or the Revolution of Dignity. Uh, and again, Putin was agitating for Yanukovych to get tough. I mean, he, got, he brought in his special forces that uh, ended up shooting 100 uh, protesters, killing 100, over 100 protesters uh, on Independence Square. And uh, he, he then followed that up with, by escalating uh, with the occupation and annexation of Crimea, and then sponsoring a proxy war in the Donbass in these two major cities, uh, Luhansk and Donetsk. His, um, his, he believed, he, he's so steeped in this uh, mythology of Russian history that the Russian Empire created, he believed that if he shook Ukraine that it would fall apart in pieces, that Odessa, Zaporizhia, central and southern Ukraine would all declare that they wanted to be part of Russia, to join Russia and become part of a, a new territory called New Russia, Novorossiya which is a, a, an attempt by the Tsars earlier on to create this territory. 
and I think it was a surprise to him that not only did the Ukrainians not ask to join Russia, the Ukrainian army, in, which was in a in very weakened state, uh, joined by uh, Ukrainian volunteers, uh, instead resisted uh, militarily uh, what was going on in the Donbass region, and you ended up with this frozen conflict. So he miscalculated uh, there, and he's miscalculated again. I mean, he, uh, he assumed that this war that he started uh, and, his, and, and the invasion, that it would last three, four days, that he would uh, shake Ukraine and that uh, the government would run away and that people would come out on the streets and greet the uh, invading Russian armies as liberators, liberating them from this supposed fascist regime. Obviously, it didn't happen. Instead, he's been greeted with rockets and grenades and uh, weapons, uh, you know, resistance, fierce resistance from the Ukrainians, not only the military, but the population. So um, it's uh, this is his uh, third kick at the cack. He's basically, you know, he thought that he could get away with it, doing it easily and w- uh, with minimal cost. Uh, now they're paying a pretty heavy price in, in their own losses and will continue to pay a heavy price. Now, of course, when we think of war, we think of, you know, tanks and guns and things like that. But there's there's more to this war than just that. Oh, certainly. There's a cyber war going on. I mean, I'm, I work at the Canadian Institute of Ukrainian Studies at the University of Alberta. So uh, we are a research and publishing institute. And our uh, website is under fierce and constant attack by hackers uh, to take it down. We've got very good security, fortunately. Uh, there's a threat. Our, um, there have been cyber attacks that preceded the actual breaching of, of uh, Ukraine's borders. Uh, there were a whole, in the lead-up to the uh, invasion, bomb threats were regular occurrence at, at schools in Ukraine across the country, hundreds of them. Uh, and it's all done to wage sort of psychological warfare. And then you've got the uh, information war, the propaganda war, that tries to justify uh, so Russian actions and tries to uh, present uh, present. Uh, Ukrainians as in, in a very negative light and tries to uh, promote, uh, you know, Russian interpretation of events. Do you think Vladimir Putin sees this as a renewal of the Cold War? Well, for him, the Cold War never ended. Um, he uh, he played along. I mean, and one of the things, he's a, he's a former KGB agent and well, a proud KGB agent. And uh, he he um, knows how to how deception is a big part of it, and I think that he adopted early on uh, this uh, image that he was open to the West and seeking better ties and all of that. But in the back of his mind, he had this smoldering resentment uh, that the and feeling that the Russia had been humiliated by the collapse of the Soviet Union. He's described it as the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century. Well, he's already now uh, earned the uh, authorship of the greatest ca- catastrophe of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. But um, he, uh, he, he's always harbored this, this obsession with Ukraine, because Ukraine, as uh, former Secretary of State Zbigniew Brzezinski said, Ukraine, Russia without Ukraine is not an empire. And so bringing Ukraine to heel has been uh, his goal all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2004, 2004, when they stole the election, that led to the Orange Revolution in 2014. Uh, he's um, this is this is something that he has been determined to undo the uh, collapse of the Soviet Union, 
and that involves restoring the you know reviving in an open in an open way the the cold war it's really important for russia to have an enemy mm-hmm. uh to keep it united and so he's created this enemy of the nato countries as if nato is a defensive alliance it has no interest in invading russia uh and uh you know he's he's uh, now i mean it's 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 absolutely open but i think in his mind he was always uh, still fighting the cold war and and just plotting how he could get back and get revenge and undo uh, the collapse of the soviet union uh why does vladimir putin say ukraine is not a legitimate country again this is tied in with um russian propaganda over the centuries uh this is a, a line that uh uh, Russians began spinning. I mean, there, you have to understand that, first of all, uh, among the Eastern Slavs, uh, the people who became the Russians, the Belarusians, and the Ukrainians, uh, Kiev emerged as a major center of civilization in the uh, 900s, 1000s to, to the 1200s, till, till uh, the Mongol invasion. And um, at that time, Moscow didn't even exist. Uh, it only is first mentioned as a village, I think, in 11-something or other. And Kiev was a great city that was actually bigger and more prosperous and more civilized than Paris or London. Uh, and uh, uh, for Russians, they created this myth that, of course, Kiev is the mother of Russian cities. Well, Russia didn't even exist. Russia only came into the existence in the 1600s. Uh, and uh, Ukraine for 400 years, Ukrainian lands for 400 years, had nothing to do with Russian uh, territories. Uh, the Ukraine was, was incorporated as part of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania, and then the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, and then the Kingdom of Poland, and then Austro-Hungary. Uh, it was tied in with Europe, not with Russia. Yet Russians spun this myth that, you know, Ukrainians have just been waiting hundreds of years to reunite with their great Russian brothers, uh, and, which, and they call them, so, you know, big Russian brothers, that they're the big brothers of the Ukrainians. Well, first of all, they're the younger brothers of the Ukrainians. And secondly, uh, if they're big brothers, then they're, they're, you could basically characterize them as abusive big brothers. Mm-hmm. They have worked for centuries to suppress the, the development of the Ukrainian language and culture as part of their project to fully integrate Ukrainian lands into the Russian Empire. And they've, uh, so they have you know, done things to ban the language or the use of the language in publications and in um, uh, theater, you know, really limit it. They took over the church, basically, and made it a tool of uh, Russification. Uh, the Tsars produced, pr- pursued these policies to Russify Ukraine. And then the Soviets did the same. Uh, they had a one brief period where uh, they had to acknowledge that the Ukrainian national feeling was so strong that they, first of all, allowed the creation of a Soviet Ukrainian Republic. And then they, uh, for about two years in the, the mid-20s, they adopted a policy of Ukrainization where the Ukrainian language was promoted and to try to undo some of the effects of Russification. Stalin put an end to that with a famine that starved millions of Ukrainians to death. Mm-hmm. He executed poets, artists, uh, theater people, uh, the whole cultural intelligentsia, priests in the uh, independent autocephalous Orthodox Church. Uh, they clamped down and, uh, you know, and then ever since then, uh, periodically, uh, w- there have been waves of arrests and uh, people getting sent to the c- camps for long sentences just for being Ukrainians. So uh, in Putin's mind and the mind, unfortunately, of many Russians, because they've been steeped in this mythology and propaganda that characterizes their education in Russian history, uh, Ukraine has no right to exist as an independent nation. Uh, he, re- he refuses to even acknowledge 
that the Ukrainians are a distinct people. Mm-hmm. They are just a, uh, they are Russians who don't want to admit that they're Russian, really. Now, Jars, any um, prediction on on how this ends? Will Ukraine manage to remain as an independent state? It's hard to say right now. Sadly, we have the uh, example of what Putin did in uh, Chechnya. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he when he came to power. I mean, first of all, the uh, Soviets had had uh, the Russian Federation under Yeltsin had its nose bloodied by the resistance uh, of the Chechens who wanted their own wanted to be independent. Uh, and so he cut a kind of deal that allowed them basically, he basically left them alone, let them, you know, be alone or whatever, uh, and do their own thing without meddling much in their affairs. That was not acceptable to Putin. This was giving up uh, Russian territory in his mind. So he started up a war again. I mean, you remember that the FSB, the Russian secret police, were actually caught planting bombs. They, they set off a number of bombs in residences, killed a couple hundred people which they then blamed on the Chechen terrorists. But this was an operation of the uh, uh, security people of Russia. On the basis of that, he then launched a war against the Chechens. And it, it was fierce, a fiercely conducted war. It was ruthless. And the Chech- Chechens were brave and they resisted, uh, uh, incredible, put up an incredible resistance. And eventually what he did was he brought in all this weaponry and he basically leveled their capital city, Grozny. He flattened it. It was just rubble. It looked like a just a bombed-out shell of itself. And then, he, then, and then when they surrendered, he installed his own puppet guy, this guy Kadyrov, who's still there, and uh, who's loyal to Putin and to the Kremlin. Uh, and, uh, you know, th- that was his solution. The fear is that you look at what's happened now. The war has not gone well so far for them, despite the gains that they've made. But they've been shocked by the fierceness of Ukrainian resistance. They're not being met by, met by people on the streets of bread and salt and, you know, as liberators from this fascist tyr- tyranny that they were supposedly living under mm-hmm. that was so oppressive to Russians. And he, um, he's, he's, you know, they're now going into a second phase because they're bringing in more troops, and there's a very good chance that their solution might be just to flatten uh, some of Ukraine's major cities to... Uh, There'll be, you know, arrests, deportations, mm-hmm. uh, executions. I mean, uh, he's capable of anything. Uh, so uh, it's it's also driving Ukrainian resistance. Uh, but you never know. I mean, it's uh, there are lots of there are David and Goliath stories mm-hmm. uh, throughout history of small people, you know, poorly equipped or whatever, you know, managing to defeat empires. You look at Afghanistan. You look at Vietnam. How. The Vietnamese stood up to a very advanced and technically sophisticated army that the Americans threw at them. Um, the hope is that Ukraine will survive. At the end of the day, I think that, if anything, in the eyes of the world, Ukraine has earned, more than earned, its right to an independent existence. People understand now what Ukrainians have been saying all along about Russia and why they wanted to, so desperately to be part of NATO. And um, Putin has done a lot of damage to Russia. Uh, the economic sanctions that are taking place, Russia is going is, is going to be is being transformed before our eyes into a pariah state like North Korea, mm-hmm. and Russians won't be able to travel comfortably in the world or easily. Uh, they will lose all these oligarchs are going to lose a lot of money and the assets that they have in Western uh, societies, which they like to live in. It's interesting. 
at home they're fine with a, democ- a, di- a dictatorship, but they really like shopping in Paris and sending yeah. the school the kids the kids to school in London and places like that. All of that's changed. Jars, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Thank you very much for having me. Jars uh, Balan is a director of Canadian Institute for Ukrainian Studies at the University of Alberta. Uh, very interesting stuff and uh, very well spoken. At least from the, you know, I mean, from the perspective of, you know, I, I was able to follow it. It, it. I do honestly think I have a better idea now of of, of the background in what led to this Russian invasion of Ukraine. We'll be back in a moment. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Thanks again to Jars Balan, Director of Canadian Institute for Ukrainian Studies at the University of Alberta, for joining us. Grant, we have 30 seconds. What do you have to say? Oh, he's... <laughs> you know what? I shall learn the colors on this screen. Because Grant is still talking to producer Jordan. Uh, You know what? I don't think we're going to have time for another call. Things are really tight. Okay, so coming up at 2.30, of course, our Tuesday Tech Spotlight. And Adam Straker will be here. He is the program manager of Communitech and will be previewing an event that's coming up on Thursday called the Future of Cities event. It's a virtual event happening midday. Maybe you want to participate in it. We'll find out more about that at 2.30. And coming up next, maybe you've received this text message from supposedly from the Ontario government advertising, hey, click here to get your license plate refund that we announced last week. Well, they are announcing refunds, as we've discussed on the show, but they're not being issued at all through text message. So that's a scam if you got one of those text messages. So we'll find out more about online scams, particularly this one, and maybe just how how to avoid electronic scams in general. This is Kitchener Today with producer Paulie filling in on City News 570. Producer Polly in with you on Kitchener today until 3 o'clock this afternoon. Police services in Ontario have issued a warning over a scam messages being sent to mobile devices involving the proposed refund of license plate sticker renewal fees. Well, that text message is a scam. And here with us to discuss it a little bit further is Anne Kavukian. She is the executive director of Global Privacy and Security by Design Center and also Ontario's former Privacy Commissioner. Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Now, can can you describe this scam text message that some people have received? You know, what is so unfortunate, whenever these things come out, um, there are brilliant hackers, unfortunately, who, who get out there and they want to, you know, make a buck from this somehow. So they put out these false messages. They're, they're scams, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and they send out a message to individuals saying, hey, have you learned? You must have heard that we're offering refunds now for the service or this license plate or whatever. You don't have to renew it anymore. Um, we'll send you a refund. Please uh, give us your information. 
So they'll put out some kind of message like that that sounds very promising. That if you want to get your refund, uh, then you've just got to respond to this text message. The damn thing is, the government never sends out text messages like uh-huh. this to people. And that's what we have to alert the public to, Paul, is that you are never going to get a text message or an online anything from a government agency offering you money back. And that's the problem. Now, this was announced last week, and this scam uh, came about yeah, it came about very <laughs> quickly. Why, why do you think it, that is? It, it is astounding. It usually takes a few weeks for these kind of messages to come out. But this one just moved at such a fast pace. It is unbelievable. So somehow these scam artists, these hackers, are really tapping into the messages made by the government. And they're just jumping on it because most people have cars and license plates that they paid for, and now they're going to get a refund. Yay. So they jumped on this, and they sent out all these emails um, to people saying, hey, isn't this great news? You're going to get your money back, and all you have to do is, you know, click this text, this link here, and um, give us your address or whatever, and we'll send it to you. I mean, that's the outrage. And I just want to alert people that never, ever respond to things like that. Mm-hmm. Just, you've got to delete them. Now, other than just, you know, common sense, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the government will never issue, you know, a refund via a text message like that. Other than yeah. just kind of common sense, you know, being aware of, of of that policy, any other ways that we can tell if a text message that we receive doesn't seem right or is a scam? You know, Paul, I never respond to text messages Mm -hmm. uh, because it's very difficult to determine if it's um, a legitimate text message, if it's a hack, if it's a scam. You just don't know. So most of the times when you're dealing with people, uh, they're going to send you an email and they'll get you to respond to it. Um, You know, or just respond to this email as opposed to clicking on a text, for example. So I would urge people not to click on text messages. They get, especially from parties unknown. Uh-huh. Now, for electronic scams in general, what what are the sorts of things that people should look out for? Not just text messages, but, uh, you know, emails as well, or maybe any other ways you can think of. <sighs> I always tell people to be wary of third parties who are emailing you who you don't know, you're not familiar with, you haven't reached out to them. So proceed with caution. Who is this person? What are they seeking? What are they asking? Why are they offering to help me? You know, things like that. Those are the kind of questions that go through my mind. And I just generally across the board, I do not respond to messages, um, texts or otherwise from parties unknown. I don't know who they are. Why are they contacting me? And most of the time, you know, I get lots of emails from you know, various parties asking me to do interviews, etc. And I will always ensure that I know who they are mm-hmm. before I respond, because there are just so many scams out there. Phishing is abounding. I mean, hackers are brilliant, and you have to be on guard. Now, if somebody did get one of these text messages and, you know, clicked on it, is there anything they can do at this point? <sighs> they can forward it to the police, to the OPP, for mm-hmm. example. And just say, I made the mistake of responding to this. They now have my, you know, whatever information they sent them, uh, uh, my license plate number, my Mm -hmm. car, my address or anything. What can I do? So that's how I would proceed. 
Anne, thanks very much for your time this afternoon. My pleasure as always. Thank you. Anne Kavukian is Executive Director, Global Privacy and Security by Design Centre, and also Ontario's former Privacy Commissioner. And it, it, it was really nice talking. I always enjoy Anne's appearances on this radio station. Usually I'm on the other side of the microphone. I'm the one who actually calls her and says, hey, Anne, you'll be on in a couple of minutes. But it was nice to talk to her on this side of the microphone. So uh, have you ever been a victim of, you know, an electronic scam of some sort? Because some of the, you know, some of the emails that you get, they look really convincing, really convincing. 519-570-2545 out of town, 1-800-570-5715 and star 570. John, you're on the air. Go ahead. I only caught the tail end of that, but I've been familiar. I've carried a BlackBerry from the very first one ever, and I'm quite familiar with stuff from Communitech, et cetera, the scans. But there's as many scans as you mentioned in emails there is on mm-hmm. text. But I'm in real estate, and I have to respond. I don't know who's texting. And it's right. dramatically. And also I help with refugees and other people in crises, so they often text. So just saying, well, don't answer it. Well, that's wonderful if you're not in the real world. I'm not against Anne. Okay, I'm not. Mm-hmm. That's not my point. But some people don't live in these little worlds. They're telling your phones off, have to go to work. Yeah, we all work nine to five. No, we don't. So those projections, those storylines last decade or two get a little bit frustrating. I think one has to be wise for sure, but don't like trust, but to say, but then also the other thing is how you untrust. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a balance point, but I mean, good, good topic, but just let not the pendulum swing too far in the one direction. I'm assuming, John, though, if you reply to one of those text messages, it's. I'm, I'm assuming that if you click the link, it's asking you to fill out a bunch of information. At that point, you'll know it's 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 a scam of some sort. Correct. And that's where I feel bad for um, some of the elderly. Anyone takes advantage of, well, not just elderly, mm-hmm. you know, unknowing. So the education is good. But then there's another place for which the kids today, I call them kids, but so if you just text, they will not email. And I've noticed that trend, and we studied mm-hmm. it for the last 15 years, so now it's the first point of just texting, and you could be like five feet away or ten feet away, and you're texting. It's just kind of strange. <laughs> uh, thanks, John, for the call. Yeah, I mean, you think, you know, when when you think of people who are vulnerable on, you know, scams, uh, even electronic scams, you think, well, well it's, it's older people. And, and maybe that is a lot of it. But again, as I was saying, a lot of these, you know, I'll get emails that look like they are legitimately from my bank. And even I've almost been fooled a few times. And, you know, the key, I, I try not to reply to any of that sort of stuff. Like I have my email on my on my phone, but I try not to, you know, click anything like that on my phone. I find that if you check your email on a on an actual desktop computer or, you know, a laptop, for, for, you know, as well, you know, something other than your cell phone, you can see a little bit more information, you know, if you hover your, your mouse around the, you know, the email address or a link that they want you to click on. You can't always kind of see what the link is before you click on it if you're viewing your email from your cell phone. So that's one thing I found that if, I, if I'm wondering if something is a scam, I'll, I'll always kind of double check it on a desktop or a laptop as opposed to my phone. 519-570-2545, out of town, 
570-5715 and star 570 hands free. Jody, go ahead. Okay, here's one for you. Um, good package, good packaging on a cheap product mm-hmm. to make it look like it's all. Oh, this is going to so, look like the package looks so good mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, what's inside? Got to be good. But you find out after you buy it that it's not as good as you thought it was. Right. <laughs> I don't know if that's, that's a scam, hey, that's the but scam, I think ever. Yeah. So that's that's happened to you, Jody? It has so many times. I feel like I'm the hollow pie story in the bedtime story books. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks for the call, Jody. Yeah, it's, it's there are all sorts of scams out there. N- not just you know electronic scams, but again, you know, you know, false packaging or whatever. But generally, you know, if you do your shopping in you know well-known retail stores, you're not going to get those. You know those products with the, you know the fake packaging or whatever. So I don't know. Maybe uh, just be careful where you shop, or just you know be wary of of, of those kind of experiences. Five one nine five seventy twenty five forty five one eight hundred five seventy fifty seven fifteen and star five seventy. I'd be curious if you've ever been victim of a scam of some sort. And I mean, maybe you're too embarrassed to call too, and then that's you know what that's I'm I'm fine with that as well because it's 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 sometimes a a very embarrassing situation to to be in to admit that you know you, you know you lost a you know a few thousand dollars or or whatever. Joe, go ahead. Yeah, um, on those scam calls, like. Sometimes when I'm on the road, if I got time to kill and I get a scam call, I'll answer. Oh, really? Okay, so you have a little fun with them then? Oh, dude, you have no idea. <laughs> like, I'll take this right to the. I'll take this to the woodshed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'll just sit there and play stupid, and I'll just say, "Sorry, I'm." Can you explain that to me again? I didn't really understand. <laughs> oh, how do I do that? Yeah. What is the What is a pay card again? <laughs> Joe, you're doing the Lord's work because one of the the benefits of people like you when, you know, you actually pick up the the calls and keep the scammers on the line, if they're talking to you, they are not talking to somebody else who might actually get taken in by it. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So thanks, Joe. Cheers. Yeah, There's a guy on YouTube. I wish I could remember the the name, but there's... (laughs) There's a guy on YouTube who will, you know, take in these scam calls and, you know, keep them on the line in some cases for hours. And it, 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 it's it's kind of funny. He'll, you know, he'll he'll change his voice. He'll pretend that he's somebody who he's not. There was, of course, there's the scam. I don't know if you see this as much anymore going around about, you know, the gift cards. They'll say, you know, uh, I don't know, you've, you know, to you've won such and such a prize, but you have to pay the fee in, you know, iTunes gift cards or something like that. And you're supposed to go out to the store. And, and, and basically what happens is you, you give them over the phone, you know, the, 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 the code on the back. And of course, then they're able to turn around and actually sell that number online illegally. And there was one time when <laughs> He he went out to the store, bought a bunch of the iTunes cards while the scammer waited on hold for, you know, 35 minutes, came back and was, you know, 
Okay, let me put this into my account. And the scammer's like, no, 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 you're supposed to give me the number, not put it on your own, you know, iTunes. No, stop it. So it's, it's quite funny watching this guy on YouTube uh, play with the scammers. And again, some of these videos are a couple of hours long. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them can be quite funny. We're talking about scams here on Kitchener today on City News 570, 519 570. 2545 out of town, 1 800 570 5715 and star 570. Chris, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, Joe kind of stole a little bit of my thunder. Mm-hmm. I love to bait them on. I love to, if I have the time, yeah, absolutely. Let's waste some time. Like like the duck cleaning, like do you do swans and mallards? Um, <laughs> it, it, it's it's just, you know, and and the other thing is because I'm, I'm a... Um, I'm a security engineer, mm-hmm. is I love to give out the IP address. And my IP address is usually the FBI or CSIS or something like that. So, yeah, please connect to my remote computer. So, <laughs> and so they look it up and then figure out who it is? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know what? If I got time to waste, I love dragging them into it. Now, Chris... You- this guy that I've watched on YouTube, I, 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 maybe he's in cybersecurity too or something, because I've seen a couple of the videos where he is somehow able to figure out where what the scammer's IP address is or take over their web camera. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Is yeah. that something you know how to do if, if you know what you're doing? Yes. <laughs> yeah, the scammers get quite... Uh, quite irritated or perplexed when suddenly they see their own picture showing up on the screen. Well, the other thing too is I love it when I get the the harassment calls from the CRA mm-hmm. and I owe, owe them money. And yes, like, I've gotten story? those too. The robotic voice, yeah, yeah. And so what you do is you hit one to get to uh, one of the uh, bad actors, mm-hmm. and you just say, "How much money do I owe you?" And they're they they can't say it because they don't know. <laughs> really? Yeah, you just say, "How much money do I owe you?" you know, how can I pay it? Uh, can I send an iTunes gift card? Right. But yeah, interesting. Anyway, good job, Polly. Uh, thanks. I don't know, who, know who's going to replace replace you eventually, but hey, keep up the good work. Right, thanks a lot, Chris. That's much appreciated. John Doe, you're on the air. Go ahead. The uh, one on uh, YouTube is, is that by any chance Tom Mabe? No, it's not Tom. I know who he's have, a comedian. No, this is not Tom Mabe. This is another guy. I'll during the break. I'll see if I can find him and look him up and give you the username. But yeah. I know the Tom Mabe that you're talking about. His videos does, are hilarious. Yeah, he does this one where uh, you know telemarketers and uh, he's pretending he's a cop and the guy called into a murder scene. Yes, that is the funniest thing yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another another one that I heard by him. Supposedly he was staying at a hotel where there's a telemarketing convention going on, so he's dialing random room numbers. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. That's very funny. I know this comedian Tom Mabe. Uh, if you search for Tom Mabe, M A B E, then I think maybe telemarketer call. Uh, yeah, somebody called his house, and he pretended that he was a police officer. And that the telemarketer had just called a murder scene. And it's like, oh, well, so-and-so is no longer with us, but you're going to have to stay on the phone because you're now a suspect. <laughs> it's very, very funny. Another one of the, the Tom Mabe videos I saw, it's hilarious. It's called the, um, uh, oh, I can't remember what, not a red shirt prank or something like that. So he he, he calls a store 
And uh, he says, yeah, uh, so-and-so from the police department. We're looking for a suspect who's been scouring the area. Just If you see him in the store, give us a call. He's, he's wearing a, a, a red shirt and a, and a blue ball cap. Let us know if you see him. And they're like, yeah, he's, he's in the store right now. He's in there right now? But what happened is they have literally like 50 people lined up outside the store all wearing a red shirt and a blue hat. And so the store gets inundated with 50 people who all are dressed exactly the same. It is so funny. <laughs> the, the comedian's name is Tom Mabe. Very funny. Grant, go ahead. Yeah, we, I, I, we've just had calls in the past with the government saying, mm-hmm. uh, you, you owe us a lot of money. Give this number a call. Yeah. I think I've, I think if someone gave me a call about this, oh, license sticker mm-hmm. being refund, I think I would ask him, okay, you tell me what my address is. Yeah. You're phoning my phone number. They should know it. If they have all your info right there, you're absolutely right, Grant. And, because, and there has been a couple of times uh, duckling. And, mm-hmm. and I said, well, this isn't a house. Right. I don't even have ducks. What are you talking about? Yeah. And they hang up right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Grant. I, a friend of my mother's once got one of these calls, uh, you know, upholstery cleaning. And uh, he said, yeah, we don't have any furniture. We just stick ourselves to the wall with Velcro. <laughs> Scammer didn't know what to say about that one. We'll be back in a few moments. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Thanks to uh, producer Jordan for help steering me in the right direction, this YouTube guy. And he's on the other, some of the other platforms as well. His real name is Jim Browning, but his username is Kit Boga, K-I-T-B-O-G-A. He's the guy who does uh, all the phone calls with the scammers. It's very, very funny. We've got news coming up at 2.30 with Aaron Anderson. And after that, our Tuesday Tech Spotlight feature. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Producer Paul Ian with you on Kitchener Today on City News 570. Of course, it's Tuesday. It is 2.30. It's time for our weekly Tuesday Tech Spotlight feature. And this week, actually, something a little bit different. Normally, we would focus on this segment on a a local tech startup. Uh, Cool things happening in our community. Uh, Businesses that maybe you've never heard of in the tech space. Well, Today, we're joined by Adam Straker. He is program manager of Communitech, and we're going to be talking about an event coming up on Thursday called the Future of Cities event. Adam, welcome to the show. Hello. Did I get that right, Straker? Yes, perfect. I've been called Streaker, Strucker, Stroker, so this is a you got spot on. <laughs> Great. Okay, so we're here to talk about the Future of Cities event uh, mm-hmm. coming up this Thursday. Tell us about it. Right. So the Future Cities launch event is, uh, is, really, is, is really announcing the Future Cities collaborative innovation program that Communitech is running um, alongside its partners, um, Rogers, City of Kitchener and Presages. Um, we're looking to define and solve complex challenges facing cities today. Um, 
The event itself um, includes speakers. We've got University of Waterloo's Professor Larry Smith, who's got one of the all-time most viewed TED Talks. We've got Dr. Anne Gavalkian, Ontario's former Information and Privacy Commissioner. Uh, Dan Mathers, President and CEO of 11X, which is a, a Waterloo-based Internet of Things startup. Um, we've got mayors. We've got uh, smart city directors. Uh, a cornucopia of wonders. And uh, what we're looking to do is just establish uh, the start of the conversation around um, what is the future of cities? What, is, what does it look like? How do we address big problems in mm. infrastructure, for mobility, uh, for inequality, um, and for the environment? Um, and how do, we, we, how do we create the future of cities that we, that we want and need to start today? Is this the first time we've done this event, the first annual? Uh, yes, this is the this is the first event uh, in, in in its current form. We've uh, we've done previous future of collaboratives, but this is uh, this is the kind of the first event bit large. And um, and yes, it's, uh, I think the intention is to have it as an annual program. Now, shaping the uh, the future of cities is usually thought of something that's done by local governments. What role can our local tech industry play in this? Well, it's actually a huge role. Um, so the so the future of cities is really a community. Um, the collaborative brings together leading experts from tech startups and scale-ups, large businesses, governments, not-for-profits, crown corporations, and academic institutions. And the idea is that we're bringing different perspectives, different types of thinking, and different capabilities to better understand and solve the problems that cities are facing today. Um, and the, uh, really, what's, what we're seeing with cities is that um, they, they have a lot of, of very complex and very, very interconnected challenges um, that can have a huge impact on the way people live, um, the way people work, and the way people play. Um, so cities have all of these kinds of all of these huge challenges, but they also have a low, a very a kind of a low awareness around how um, artificial intelligence, geolocation mapping, mixed reality, drones, Internet of Things, 5G, um, and many other technologies um, can solve specific challenges like the ones I just mentioned. Uh, and so cities have all these different kinds of challenges uh, that they're that they're facing every day. Can they, Canada's innovators have the solutions? And our program brings those crazy kids together at last. And so the idea is that we matchmake um, problems with solutions. There's a few different themes to this event happening on Thursday. One of them is the importance of cyber uh, uh, safety, rather, as cities digitize. Uh, what's that all about? I think there's a few things here. Uh, I mean, you know, ultimately, we all, we all want our cities to be safe. Um, and we think safe, uh, safety in the, in the traditional senses, so safety from, um, from fire and flood, safety from crime, um, and, uh, and, and safety from, uh, from road collisions. You know, there's a, a, a very important initiative, Vision, um, Vision Zero, which is about reducing the collisions between pedestrians and, and vehicles. Uh, but safety, of course, um, has, many, uh, has many different shapes. So it's also about um, emotional safety. Do people, do people feel emotionally safe? Is is a city conducive to, uh, to to good mental health? Um, does it have green spaces? Does it bring communities together? Um, and also, cities increasingly collect a lot of data from citizens. Um, how do citizens feel about this? Um, do they know what data is being collected? Do they know why it's being collected? Do they have agency in that conversation? Can do, is there somebody that they can contact and say, I I don't trust this. I don't feel comfortable with this. I don't feel safe in my city. I feel like I'm being surveilled. Um, and is there a conversation that we can have there? So I think it's uh, I think safety is is uh, is a more pressing conversation than ever before. 
Now, there's a number of guest speakers confirmed for this two-hour event. I know you mentioned Anne Kavukian, who actually, it's funny, she was just on with us a half an hour ago. Um, oh. who, who are some of the other guest speakers? I missed them. Yeah, so we've got uh, University of Waterloo's Professor Larry Smith, uh, who has one of the all-time most viewed TED Talks. It's fantastic. It's called Why All Fail to Have a Great Career. Um, it was actually very motivational. I loved it. Um, we've got Dan Mathers. Uh, mm-hmm. He's the co-founder, president, and CEO of 11X, uh, which is a Waterloo-based Internet of Things startup that's really leading the way in terms of what's possible for cities. And this is one of the startup companies that we've engaged in the process so far. Uh, we also have Mike Savage, mayor of Halifax, and Emily and Emily Yates Giuliani, um, smart city director of City of Philadelphia. And, uh, and she plays a key role, of course, because um, it's important to understand international best practices as far as cities are concerned and there's there are many other cities around the world who have uh, who have taken on or are taking on some of the challenges the canadian municipalities are looking at and i've learned a thing or two that would be a done uh, is this event open to the general public um it is it's absolutely event, uh, open to the general public um you should be able to see the registration link on our community linkedin page um and it's, uh, it's also available on the city age website uh so that's uh, uh city age um com i think it is mm-hmm. uh and it is absolutely available to the general public is there a cost to this nope it's absolutely free to attend all right adam thank you very much for joining us this afternoon my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Uh, Adam Straker is a program manager at Communitech talking about this Future of Cities event coming up this Thursday. I don't think we mentioned the time, but it's it, it's it's happening 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., so two hours. And there's like 10 guest speakers. I don't know how you're going to fit 10 guest speakers into that two-hour action-packed event. But uh, nonetheless, yes, the Future of Cities event, it's a virtual event coming up this Thursday, uh, sponsored or put on by Communitech. It is absolutely free. And if you're interested in more information or if you want to register for this virtual event, I think it's happening on Zoom, if I'm not mistaken. You can go to cityage.com, cityage.com slash future of cities. Uh, And that is our Tuesday Tech Spotlight. Uh, We're going to take a break. Uh, I'm not sure what's coming up next. i got some things I've been sitting on. Or if you you have something you want to comment on, something you've heard in the news today, uh, we can take a couple of open line phone calls in the next 15 minutes if you want. 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5757. 15 and star 570. Maybe you want to comment on online scams. We were talking about that in uh, about a half an hour ago. Or, of course, we spent a lot of time today talking about the Russia invasion of Ukraine. Fascinating conversation with uh, Jars Balan at 1.30 this afternoon about how all this got started. And, uh, you know, I, I had no idea. This this has been going on a lot longer than just a couple of weeks ago since we first heard about, uh, you know, this invasion. I was also surprised to learn that in Jars's opinion, anyway, Vladimir Putin thought that this was this invasion was not going to last long, and that here we are three or four days into it, and he thought that it would only take three or four days, but here we are, we're still seeing this 
invasion. So if you want to comment on that or anything else you've heard, you can do so. Rudy, go ahead. Yeah, this, this is not about the invasion. I, I've seen so much about that. It's mm-hmm. very heartbreaking. Yeah. But I, I phoned in yesterday about Littlest Hobo. Yeah. We're talking about yeah. your favorite TV shows as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. It started in 63. They ran it for a few, uh, like five years, and then they started it again in the 70s. Okay. They did 114 episodes. And there were six different dogs through time. Six different dogs, eh? Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that. I was only from... So the ones that I watched in the 80s, were those reruns from the 70s, or were they still being produced into the 80s? I think they ran into, like, 80 and 81. Mm-hmm. I... All right, cool. Thanks, Rudy. No problem. Have a good day. Yeah, thank you. You too. Uh, yesterday, yesterday, actually, right about this time, we were talking about what were your favorite... TV shows when you were a kid, and, and and Rudy mentioned right there the littlest hobo, and I you know I didn't really watch the show that much, but I loved the theme song and and, and whatever show was on right before the littlest hobo, I kept the channel on because I wanted to hear the the theme song to the littlest hobo. It's um what was the I can't remember the name of uh, name of the song. It was like a country kind of a, a song. So if, if you want to comment on that, too, we got a ton of calls on that yesterday at this time, your favorite TV shows as a kid. Anyway, if you want to talk about something, go ahead, give us a call, 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Producer Polly, in with you this afternoon. Uh, if you want to call in about whatever you want to talk about, you can at 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570. I have a feeling Grant wants to comment on scams because we, we left you hanging last half hour. Grant, thanks for calling back. Okay. Well, this is kind of an unbelievable story. All right. Well, I'm going to start off, Paul, you're... Uh, you got big boots to fill when it comes to Brian Burke, but actually you're starting to settle in okay. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, when it comes to scams, mm-hmm. and this goes back to uh, law enforcement, uh, when it comes to family services, uh, my wife left me, and uh, anyways, uh, 10 years ago, and every year about February, I would get a call from family services mm-hmm. stating that I hadn't made payments. So that mm-hmm. happened about three years in a row. I was able to get it uh, resolved. It, it was didn't have to be. It was all false lies. But anyways, it went on for seven years, and everything uh, I forgot all about it. Or and seven years later, I get a call from Family Services telling them that I owe them fourteen thousand uh-huh. dollars. So uh, they told me they're going to seize my bank accounts. Uh, they're going to seize my home. They're going to uh, come and pick me up. The sheriff's coming to pick me up. And I said, wow. well, I've never run away from my problems before. Yeah. I'm sitting here. Come and get me. And they said, really? I said, yeah. <laughs> and it was the call would always come on a Friday. I said, you know, so I, I did call a lawyer, and they said, listen, call them back <laughs> and tell them you want to talk to the supervisor. Within one call, explaining to them, uh, 
or asking the supervisor what the hell's going on. And she said, I'll look into it. And within two hours, they called back and said, no, Grant, this $14,000 she owe, it's, uh, but it sure sounded like a scam. Yeah. <laughs> but thank, thing is, uh, well, thank God they believed in me. That's, that, 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 so it's had a, had a good story in the end. Yeah, here's another reason you can tell that it's a scam, too, because if they say, you know, if, you know, if they leave you a voicemail or whatever, you owe money, call us back to arrange a payment. If you call back whatever number they give you, and they pick up, particularly if it's like the Canadian Revenue Agency, if you call back and they pick up right away, yes, Canadian Revenue Agency, that never happens. If you ever have to call one of these, you know, these, these, these government departments, it's always press one for this, two for that, wait on hold for eight hours. They never pick up right away. So if you call them back at the number you're supposed to call them back and they pick up right away, that's the number one sign you know that it's not really the Canadian Revenue Agency. 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570 hands-free. Mark, you're on the air. Hi, Paul, and I'm glad Grant came through with callers mm-hmm. there. I'm glad it all worked out for him. I, I listened to him. Yeah. Anyway, uh, there was a caller before him, Paulie. He was talking about old shows again. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about that yesterday, favorite childhood TV shows. Yeah, I've got one for you, Paulie. It might be a bit before your time, though. And Probably. It was a bit off the wall. Uh, it's, it was called Hilarious House of Frankenstein with Billy Zane. Oh, yeah, that one was produced uh, in Hamilton. I, I remember seeing that show. Yeah, you need you. it was a half-hour show, and he played all the characters, Billy Zane did. Oh, did he? And, see, um, I, I, it's, it's so many years ago, I don't right remember the, wall, the specifics. You, needed a, you had to sit down with a big, fat doobie to watch that show, Polly. <laughs> okay, well, I was seven years old when that show was on in the 80s, so okay, definitely yeah. not. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Yeah, we were talking yesterday about some of uh, our favorite childhood TV shows. Uh, I was born in the late 70s and, and you, know, you know, grew up in the 80s and 90s. And actually, I didn't get through my, my whole list because we were, were jammed right up until the end of the show with phone calls. And, you know, thank you very much for calling. I want to say something about, you know, because... I've been, you know, hosting Kitchener today since Brian left uh, a week and a half ago. And, you know, I, I my, my biggest fear coming into this was what if nobody calls or maybe even worse, what if the, the phone line breaks? What if I am so nervous I, I, I can't think of what to talk about? And every day I've been printing out a whole bunch of what they call in radio filler material, little you know, offbeat stories or, you know, things that I could use to, to fill time if I needed to, to fill time. You know, we have two minutes before the news or, or, or whatever. Rarely, a couple of times, but rarely in the last week and a half have I had to dip into this pile of printed material because, you know, you're always there on the phones to comment about, whatever we're talking about. And that it's, I, I love the interaction with the listening audience. And whenever I'm worried that I might have to dip into this, 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 this pile of material, you always come through for me. 
you always have been in the last week and a half. And that's, that's fantastic because I'd, I'd rather talk to you than, than read something that I, I printed off uh, on a paper. So 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570. So going back to yesterday's topic about our favorite childhood TV shows, uh, I ended off with You Can't Do That on Television which was a show that was on, I guess, in the 80s. I didn't see it until YTV signed on in the late 80s. And so they were airing. I, they might have been into reruns at that time. You can't do that on television. But that was the show with the green. It was a, you know, a kid show, kind of for adolescents. Maybe not, not like young kids, but adolescents. You know, maybe ages 10 to 10 to 15. And if you said the words, I don't know, you got green slime dumped on your head. Or if you said the words water, you had a big bucket of water dumped on your head. And so, you know, that was a, that was a cool show. And as I mentioned at the end of, the, of yesterday's show, Atlantis Morissette was on that show for a brief time. Very brief time. I think she only lasted maybe four or five episodes. But a, a lot of people, when they think of that show, oh, yeah, Atlantis Morissette was on that show. Rob, go ahead. Hey, I just wanted to comment on something you said a minute ago mm-hmm. um, about the scams. Yeah. And if it's uh, a CRA that you're calling and someone picks up right away, it's mm-hmm. a definite scam. Um, not always true. Really? Uh, sometimes, sometimes the officers or agents do give a direct line to the person they're trying to contact. So it's not always... Uh, a two-hour hold when you call oh, if you're dealing with someone directly. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, I just mm. wanted to clarify that a bit so that, you know, um, you know, sometimes they do reach out to the uh, to the people, and uh, it is a direct line to uh, an officer. Now, there's ways to check that it's valid, mm-hmm. but uh, if you're not sure, you always call. Yeah, you know, maybe call Google the, the number priority. before you call back, right? Well, that too, or if you think it might be a scam, just call the general inquiries line. Mm-hmm. And if you can get through, they will let you know if uh, someone has uh, trying to... Is Contact trying to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh, I didn't know that. And, and when I said that thing about the, you know, if they pick up right away, it's a scam, I was, I was trying to be a little more funny when I said that because, you know, whenever you call a place, there's, you, it always seems that you're waiting. But I, I was trying to be more humorous, but that is, that is interesting that occasionally maybe, you know, with something like the CRA, maybe they do give you a direct line, but, you know, obviously, you know, try to use your, you know, your common sense, you know, most of the time when you do get a call from the CRA, it seems it probably is a scam, but if it's that robotic voice, you ever got that one? You know, uh, this is the Canadian Revenue Agency. You owe $10,000. I mean, if it's, that's clearly a scam. If it's not an actual person who, 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 who leaves the voicemail. Joe, go ahead. Yeah, about uh, the previous caller, uh, hilarious host of Frankenstein. Absolutely yeah. one of the best shows. <laughs> and I thought it was just a kid's show, but uh, apparently not. It wasn't. Okay. <laughs> The actor, the the uh, main character or the main guy was Billy Van, mm-hmm. not Billy Zane, Billy okay. Van, and Vincent Price did guest spots on or cameos on. Oh, that. did he really? Yeah, he, you never saw. Well, if you ever saw the show, you can get it on reruns. 
um, Vincent Price would come on and do cameos all the time. And the best skit was uh, Wolfman. Mm-hmm. He introduced me to so much classical, uh, classic rock. Mm-hmm. And uh, Igor and him would dance in the background against the psychedelic drop. And uh, that was just the best thing when I was a kid. Anyway, that's all I had to uh, fill in there. Cool. Thanks, Thanks Joe. Yeah, I, I remember the show, The Hilarious House of Frankenstein. It, I, Like, I've, I've watched it maybe, you know, flipping around. I, I never said, oh, boy, Saturday, 10 a.m., the show is on. I, I kind of saw it as I was flipping around. So I, I never watched... A lot of it, I always thought it was a kid's show, but I guess like a lot of shows, and The Simpsons is like this too, it, you know, it has humor for, for both young people and jokes that only adults would get. So, I, The Hilarious House of Frankenstein was apparently like that, but again, I, I don't remember because I remember that as a, a show when I was a kid, and I wouldn't have gotten all of the you know, the adult references. But maybe I will see if I can find an episode of that or two on YouTube. See if I can get a kick out of it a second time. We got the uh, 570 Afternoon News coming up next with Aaron Anderson and Paul McPhee. And uh, we're back tomorrow at noon. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570.